thank you, gentlemen, so very much for that good song. Amen. I'm not sure it would be Thanksgiving season without that song. <laughs> I appreciate, appreciate it so very much. We have much to be thankful for, don't we? Amen. Well, one of my one of the things that I love about the Sunday after uh, Thanksgiving is it is uh, a transitional Sunday. It's uh, as uh, we are still, I hope, counting our blessings, still in thankful, um, and uh, and yet we're also looking forward to the Christmas season and uh, trust that uh, we can be thankful and uh, in a merry uh, spirit all at the same time. And uh, I would have you, if you would, if you, please turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We're going uh, to start our Christmas series this morning. If you're not in the mood for Christmas, well, hopefully you will be before it's over. <clears throat> One of the things that's interesting about mental health field is that we, uh, we can just create any kind of illness we want to. What used to be a bad behavior is now we can just label it. And I like that. I like that we could just label it. Now, I, su I suppose that some people don't like that, but I think it's kind of fun. I remember when I was working uh, in, uh, for the agency um, in the secular realm, I created my own uh, uh, syndrome. I called it the personal invitation syndrome. I worked with special needs kids, and, and uh, we, I had several clients that had the issue that if you gave a general uh, uh, command, you know, everybody line up, everybody, do, you know, get out their papers, that child wouldn't do it unless they were specifically told that they themselves had to do it. And so I decided that was personal invitation syndrome. And, I, and I, I should have written a paper about it and gotten in the DSM. I could have been famous, but I didn't do it. Well, there's a, uh, Dr. Douglas uh, LaBear, I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly, he has created, uh, at least coined the term, and uh, I kind of like it, he has created his own uh, uh, mental health uh, illness. And so I, I, I'm kinda, I'd like to share it with you this morning. It's a empathy deficiency syndrome or disorder. Now, now uh, what this is, is if you suffer from this, or if you know somebody who does, it's somebody who doesn't experience empathy with people, other people, especially people who are different than them in beliefs or attitudes or perspective or what have you. I suppose that none of you know anybody who lacks empathy. It seems to affect us a lot, doesn't it? It's the people who suffer are, are the husbands who doesn't recognize that his working wife needs a break every now and again from perhaps the kids or, or from cooking supper or, or whatever. It might be the wife who, who, and mother who doesn't recognize that in her busyness that she needs to carve out time, one-on-one -on -one time with, with her husband and with her kids. It might be, uh, it might be middle-aged People who uh, 
don't realize that their uh, elderly parents are lonely and uh, need visited every once in a while. Now, God has done something unique, and this is, this is something that's only true, as I understand it, of mammals. God has put in our brains what is called mirror neurons. Now, I don't want anybody falling asleep on me in a science lesson, but, but stick with me just a moment, if you will. Mirror neurons are, are this. We have an invisible connection with everybody that we are near, and we transmit our emotions to the other person. And it's absolutely astounding how powerful this is. In fact, without this, children, grow, uh, it, children that grow up without having this connection with people can become psychopathic and murder people. They can have difficulty uh, in social uh, situations. It is a very important thing that especially babies have this connection with a, a caregiver, usually a mother, but can be a father, can be uh, someone who's hired to do it. It doesn't really matter. But what's important is that they have this connection from, from birth. And without it, Without it, even a, ch a child, children can even die from this. But even as adults, we have these mirror neurons that are constantly working. I, I, I'll have you do an experiment this week just to see if it works. When you're at the store or something and you see somebody who's grumpy, smile at them. Do you know what happens? Half of you smile just because I said the word smile. You couldn't help it. I, I said smile, and suddenly the mirror neurons fired in your brain, and you go, yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm smiling, and you're laughing. Isn't that incredible? This is powerful. It's like magic. <laughs> but it's not. It's God designed. He has put these mirror neurons in your head and in my head so that we can connect emotionally. I want you to imagine you got up, uh, get up tomorrow morning and you're feeling all right. You go to work and someone that you work with, it could be your boss, could be, could be just someone that works near you, comes in and they're miserable and they're honoring and they snap at you. Do you know what you're likely to do? Get in a foul mood and snap back. That is what you're most likely to do. Now, hopefully... Hopefully you have enough self-control. Hopefully that you have holiness is working and you can refrain from snapping back and hopefully not be tempted to give anything but love. But what's going to happen is your mood will change as a result of being in the presence of someone who has a very powerful negative emotion. How often have you been fine, husbands, and your wife has a problem and she comes and she tells you about how bad of a person you are because you forgot to put the toilet seat down, and suddenly you get defensive. Suddenly you are just as upset as she is, and you don't have a reason to be upset, except for she's upset. It's the power. It's the power of empathy, but God has, there's, science has found it. We have neurons that actually do this, that connect that allow us to sense these emotions in each other and to share them at the same time. It's part of the reason why the bigger the crowd, the smaller the IQ. 
You think many brains would make, would make for a higher IQ, but it's not, it's not the case? The crowds tend to do stupid things, and people go and, and they do these dumb things, maybe criminal things, and, they, and when they're asked why they did that, they said, I don't know, I wasn't thinking. They literally were not thinking. Their mirror neurons were firing, and they were just going along like a herd because they, they, they stopped thinking, and they, uh, they allowed themselves to be controlled by their mirror neurons. As Christians, it's our job to be salt and light. It's our job to bring joy. It's our job to bring love. It's try to help others to see that there's, we don't always have to live in negative emotions. We can live in positive emotions. But one of the things that I think we struggle with so oftentimes is that in, when we read the scriptures, we don't have that person there, and so we're not connecting at an emotional level. We're not empathetic with them. And I think it gets easy as we sit in the comfort of our padded pews to sit in judgment of the characters of the Bible. We see them as far away and, and, and they have very, our lives are very different and we have a hard time walking in their shoes and experiencing life as they experienced it. Part of it is we don't necessarily understand their culture as well as, as perhaps some that have studied the culture. And that's what our pastor's job. We're supposed to study the culture so we can help you to understand that. But... I, so, so I think that's a hindrance. I think other, uh, another hindrance is, is they're not, we can't talk with them. We don't get to know them. All we have is these little pieces in, in Scripture. And so this, this Christmas, this season, what I want to do is I want to look at the Christmas story through the eyes of the different characters that were there and present at the birth of Christ. And so the new... The first Christmas, that first Christmas, what is it like to experience it if we were actually there? And that's, I think, the challenge for all of us as we think about Christmas is how do we do that? So Luke chapter 1, we're going to do some skipping around. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We're going to get into the very first one. And I'm just going to tell you this morning, we're going to try to look at Christmas through the eyes of Mary. Through the eyes of Mary. Now, we preach a lot on Mary. Probably every Christmas, Mary gets preached on by every preacher everywhere. She's kind of an important character in the story. In fact, would you believe that in every Christian nation, uh, if the name Mary is one of the top, if not the very top name for girls, Mary has become a very important... And what... Uh, it has, I believe, 20 different variations of it. Miriam, uh, Marie, and so on and so forth. Um, and also, just interestingly enough, Mary is so important to, our, to the story that it is one of very, very few female names that have been used for, uh, and have uh, ma masculine variations like Mario. Um, there's other ones, but I don't remember them off the top of my head. But just to give us just some thought of her, um, her importance 
in, the, in our lives, Mary has become such an important name. Luke chapter 1, and uh, let's, let's uh, start uh, in verse 26. We'll read through 31, and then we'll skip to chapter 2. We're just going to try to get some um, pieces. I trust you're familiar enough with the Christmas story and it's in, that, that we won't uh, leave out something that's important. And the sixth month of the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose was Joseph in the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. The Lord God give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there shall be no end. Let's skip over to chapter 2. Let's pick up verse uh, 6. Chapter 2 and verse 6. And so it was that while they were there, this is in Bethlehem, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And then verses 18. And all that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Father, we need your help this morning. Help us to see Christmas with fresh eyes, the eyes of Mary this morning. May, uh, may though we hear things that perhaps we've heard many, many times before, may they help us to renew our focus and renew our hearts to see what you'd have us to see. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Mary is a teenage girl, 14, 15 years old. And in our minds and in our culture, much too young to get this kind of greeting. She's a spouse to be married and She's excited about that, planning the wedding, planning the feast, planning, setting up housekeeping, and all the responsibilities and all the things that are going to go into that. And Mary is a person with hopes and dreams. I don't know what all her hopes were. I'm sure that she hoped that, that Joseph would be a good husband to her. I'm sure she hoped for lots of children. Perhaps she hoped that Rome would, would leave and be defeated somehow because the Romans were taxing them so badly. Some estimates say that they were pay, paying in taxes over 50% of what they were producing. It's hard when you're poor to pay 50% taxes. 
I don't think anybody who's rich wants to pay 50% in taxes. Joseph has, is not a farmer. He's a carpenter. And he's going to have to have special tools. And he's going to have to build up a business. And he's going to have responsibilities. And she's hoping to stand right beside him and in the midst of all that. I don't know if she dreamt about being the mother of the Messiah. As I understand it, there, there were those that, that still, Jewish girls today, that, who pray and ask God to let them be the mother of the Messiah. So it's possible that she dreamt about this. I, but you know, sometimes what we dream for and what we wish for, what we hope happens, sometimes when it happens, it's not what we expected. It's not what really what we wanted. Have you ever bought something you thought was going to be wonderful and you got it and, you, and maybe you used it a few times and you found out it just wasn't that wonderful? And you go, why did I spend all my money on that? I remember I, I did that with, with something. I, I have a tendency to, I, I like quality. And uh, I, I like to get things that are, I can tend to, to save up and look for deals and, and really, really got, like to have something that's, that's nice, especially with electronics, just if I'm just going to be honest this morning. And I remember I needed, for work, I needed a video camera um, when I was doing uh, my uh, practicum, doing counseling, I had to have uh, my own video camera. And you know, a cheap $75 one would have worked. But I had to have one that was so much nicer than that. Because, you know, we're going to want it for the kids. And we're gonna, you know that thing? I haven't touched that thing in years. I wish I'd have bought a cheap $75 grainy one. It's all it would have been necessary. But I spent a couple hundred dollars on something that was more because I thought I had to have all those features. I've looked back and said, that was so dumb. <laughs> I got a good deal on it, I'm, and I got it on sale. And, and, but I just, I had to have more, because I thought I was going to need it. I thought all those, those features that I, that I found in this, in this great product that I really was going to benefit from. And I just didn't benefit from it very much. Sometimes when we hope and dream for things and we get it, we find out that it's not all that it's cracked up to be. And I think so, that had to be what was going through Mary's head when Gabriel shows up. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. Whoa, hold up. Time out. Time out. <laughs> what? Uh, what? <laughs> How do you explain that to Joseph? How do you tell? Guys, think about it for a moment. Your fiance says, hey, I'm pregnant, but don't worry, it's from God, not from any other guy. How do you explain that, ladies? And guys, how do you believe that? 
suddenly all of her hopes, all of her dreams, everything is crashing in on her and fast. Joseph says, Joseph doesn't take it well. We don't know how that conversation went. I wish so badly that the Bible was about 20 times thicker than it is because there are so many things I'd like to know. I'd love to know how this conversation went. We know Joseph has decided that he's going to put her away privately. He's not going to have her stoned. Which just actually makes him a nice guy. But when, you think about it, but when we think about it, we're like, man. All of her world's crashing in. And yet she looks at it as good news. She looks at it as good news. She has the baby and she's holding Jesus in her arms. And I want to just take a few moments to look at, there's so many things that we could have looked at with Mary. There's so, I probably could have done the whole series on Mary. But I just want to take a few moments on, on what it had to be for her to look at Jesus as a baby. And all of those things that, that come with that. And I think the first thing that, that has to be startling to us as she's holding him is that she realized that she is holding the king. In fact, Gabriel said that God was going to give him the throne of his father, David. That's not actually part that we pick up on usually when we read about what Gabriel says to Mary. Usually, we're, I, I, as I read it, I'm like, wow, okay, you, you can have the Messiah. But, but she is cradling a king. Gabriel said that to her. Now, we have to, it just doesn't compute this morning. She knows nothing about palace life. She doesn't know how to, how to be a lady. She's not a lady. Now, now let, me, let me just back up for a moment here. I wanna, I'm using the word lady as in someone who's familiar with the court, not what we've turned the meaning to be. C.S. Lewis actually complains about how we've changed lady and gentleman to mean actually people that we like rather than what their original meanings were. So let me, so when I use lady here, I'm not, none of you women here are ladies by this definition, all right? Let's, we're, that's what we want to talk about. Is late, she is not someone who knows what it is to have political power and influence. She doesn't know anything about dressing in fancy clothes. She probably owns one outfit. Maybe, maybe two. Maybe something a little more dressier for, for festivals or, or, or uh, for going to temple. But very, very likely, she owns one outfit. And she's holding a king. She doesn't know anything about, about having a feast. She is poor. She is so poor that when she takes Jesus to the temple... For him to be circumcised and they have to give the sacrifice. She offers two pigeons, which is the lowest of the lowest sacrifice allowed for the poorest people. Pigeons, folks. It wouldn't hurt my feelings if, if half of the world's pigeon population just was wiped out. Pigeons are not wonderful. 
They're awful creatures, aren't they? And yet, God allowed for the poorest of the poor to be able to have two pigeons as their sacrifice. And Mary is holding a king, and all that she has for wealth, all that she can afford, is a pigeon sacrifice. How do you do that? How do you raise a king when you're in poverty? How does she educate him? I mean, shouldn't a king be educated in politics? Shouldn't a king know uh, about how to, uh, you know, strategy for war? I mean, when you think about it, if, especially those of you who like history, I won't take a raise of hands because there probably isn't enough of you to be encouraging. But for those that love history, princes received the most education of anybody in the country. They hired the very best tutors. They, they made sure that, the, I mean, that kid, that prince who's going to be taking over the throne someday, had to have the very best in education. Mary probably cannot even read and write. She probably never went to school. She, her, her abilities probably are limited to what she learned from her mother on homekeeping. And now she's got a king that she's holding that she has responsibility to educate. Thank God for the Bible school. Thank God for public education or homeschool or at Abeka at ACE and all these things that, that we use. Thank God, for, thank God for them. But folks, Joseph and Mary didn't have those things. And he's the king. But he's more than a king. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And every king will bow and every lord will kneel and declare him Lord of all. Without the education of the palace, without the fine garments, and without the fancy foods, and all of those things that were befitting of a king. Didn't have any of those things, and yet he becomes the great king of kings. Amazes me, the, the wise men, as they had traveled, they assumed... They assumed that Jesus would be born in a palace. It makes sense. And I suppose preachers have gotten, you know, have preached and they've talked about how the, the, they got off track and all this. Well, but it says the star reappeared to them. It seems to me like the star kind of went out for a little bit. Probably God designed and leading them to Jerusalem first. But their assumption was has to be born in the palace. He has to be born there. That's where kings are born. They're not born in stables. And we know that this morning. But do we understand the responsibility that she had while she's holding this child and the weight of that? I think about when he, Jesus is 12 and they leave him in the temple accidentally. Can you imagine what that had to be like? 
God's entrusted me with his son, and now I've lost him. <laughs> and we're not just talking, you know, a, a, a small, we're talking three days. We're talking about, we're talking about some time. Mary's going Mary's gonna to be forced into exile into Egypt. She's going to have to move back to Nazareth. I mean, she is constantly, constantly on the move. And she's got all this responsibility of raising a king. And this morning, as, as we think about it, we don't have the responsibility of raising a king, but we have the responsibility of worshiping the king. I think uh, Mark Lowry probably said it the best with Mary, did you know? She says, Mary, when you've kissed your little baby, you've kissed the face of God. And she knows that. She's had the angelic visit. He is the great one sitting on the throne. And this morning, is God doesn't come in physical form. We can't hug him and, and we can't kiss him and we cannot do all the things that perhaps that Mary did. And yet this morning, we have the same responsibility to crown him with many crowns. Not physical crowns, but crowns of praise and crowns of, of a holy life lived before others. And every day that we choose to serve him instead of serving ourselves, we honor the king. We honor the king. So as, Jesus, as Mary was looking at Jesus, she knew and she realized that she had responsibility that her son was a king. And when we look you know, one of the things that concerns me is that some people talk about Jesus as still a baby. I don't know if you've ever heard people say that, but they'll say things that, uh, you know, pray to baby Jesus and different stuff. And it's just like, Jesus is not a baby anymore. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And though he loves us, he is great and terrible this morning. Not terrible as cruel and mean, but, but powerful and mighty. And we should, when we look at Jesus, we, even as we look back to him, we must realize that he has always been a king. But not only did she look at Jesus as a king, but she looked at him as the son to nurture. She had a great responsibility, didn't she? Moms, you know what it is to be a parent, don't you? It's all the fun stuff, you know, like getting up at 3 a.m. to change a diaper and to feed, the, uh, feed those kids that cannot feed themselves, the bottles and the... And I mean, it's, and, uh, you know, when they're sick, isn't that fun? Sometimes I've said over and over, I, I said... The worst part of parenting, I think, has got to be when they're sick. I don't like discipline very much, but I'd rather discipline them than be sick. At least with discipline, I get to pick how bad it is. <laughs> with sickness, you just gotta you just gotta ride it out with them. And I think Jesus got sick. 
Bible tells us that Jesus' first miracle was when he changed the water into wine at Canaan. He, it wasn't like, oh, oh, I got a, oh, I got a little sniffle here. I'll just touch that and that's all better. She had a tremendous amount of nurturing that needed to take place. She had to, to make sure that he had clothes. Mind you, she only has one herself, probably. Lucky she might have two outfits. Now she's responsible for clothing him. And what does the Bible say that she, she clothes him in? Swaddling clothes. What is that? They're the rags. Yeehaw. The great king of kings and lord of lords, she, and she knows that angels visited her, and she gets to wrap him in rags. I think she felt guilty about that. I'm just trying to empathize with her this morning. I don't really know. The Bible doesn't tell me. But I think she felt really guilty about that. It was the best she had to offer. He should be in a brand new outfit. He should be in a, something that was befitting of a king, something befitting of, it, of God, something that at least was nice. And parents, when you face hard times and kids, your kids have had less than what you want, don't you feel a little guilty? When you, knew, when you know they really need a new winter jacket, but you're trying to get them through one more winter with the old one? Or you know you'd, they'd really like to have that name brand whatever shoes, are in, and you look at Goodwill hoping and praying you can find Nikes and at Goodwill for a decent price. There's something about it that just feels a li- it makes you feel a little bit guilty. You wish you could give them everything that their friends have. And if we feel that way about our kids who are no gods and are no kings, though they might feel like it sometimes, or at least act like it, I think she felt guilty about that. Can you imagine... She's cooking, and she burns it, and she goes, great, I just burnt supper for my God. I'm just like, oh boy. I don't even know how she got through, how she thought through her, day, her days raising Jesus. I don't know how she got through it. I don't know how she thought about it. And I think Jesus was like most kids. I, don't think, I think that he probably, when you know he was two and three, that he was an explorer. And she's always trying to keep him from falling and trying to make sure she doesn't kill this kid. I know that I said over and over and over with our kids to to Trisha, said, the fact that our kids are still alive is by the grace of God. Tumbles downstairs and tumbles that, and I mean, it just seems like as soon as they can climb, they do climb. trips to the emergency room. I don't know how many we've had, but we've had more than I care for. Dennis had croup as a baby. Let me tell you, that's always fun. 3 a.m., barking like a seal. And he can't breathe, and you've You've done the shower thing, you, you know, you've tried to do the steam thing, and it doesn't work, and you call 
the hospital and they say, go ahead and bring him in. He's not breathing. That's fun. I don't know if Jesus had croup or colic or any of those other things. I don't think Martin Luther was right when he said, no crying he makes. It's a nice little song, but I don't think it's reality. I think Jesus had a good set of lungs. He was going to be a preacher. I think God gave him a good set of lungs. I'm just, I'm just empathizing this morning. And she has a responsibility to nurture and care for him. And you know this morning, I believe that the reason why Jesus became a child, became a baby, was allowed himself to be so vulnerable that he couldn't even lift his own head up couldn't turn over on his, on his own and became so vulnerable was so that we could know that in our vulnerability that God knows how to take care of us. He knows what it is to be needy. He knows what it is to have to be cared for. He knows what it is to, to have to have a mother who, who held his hand as he crossed the street. He knows our frailties. And we don't often think about Jesus in these ways. But I think it's important for us to to step back and to realize that Jesus became so vulnerable that when Herod was coming after him, he could have been killed if it weren't for parents who are willing to obey God and take great risk and move to Egypt in a place they didn't know, in a place they'd never been probably ever before. And I don't know if they had friends or relatives there. I don't know. I know there was a Jewish community in Alexandria. It's probably where he went. But did they have family there? What, what, what was going on there? And she's got all... The, and the king of the Jews is being raised in Egypt, not in Israel. Do you think she felt guilty about that? I do. I do. I think she didn't understand, and I think she, I think she was bothered. But I think Jesus, I truly believe Jesus became vulnerable. And, and as we read through Isaiah, and Isaiah talks about him being despised and rejected. As we read in Hebrews that we have not a high priest who's not touched with our infirmities. It's because he had those infirmities. Jesus was, would get so tired that he would, could sleep through a storm on a boat. He got so hungry that he was tempted to turn stones to bread. And he knows what it is to be in want and to be cold and wet and tired. And I would say to us this morning that if you're going through some difficulties and you're going through a hard time, I want you to know that Jesus knows what it is to be in need. And it helps him to help us. And he knows how to meet our needs this morning. Mary looked down at Jesus. I I, I think also it was a mystery to be pondered. I think Jesus was a mystery to be pondered. You know, every Christmas we we talk about the word Emmanuel. We talk about God incarnate. We talk about God in human flesh. 
Do you know how ludicrous and insane that is? Now, I know that might sound blasphemous to some of you, but, but just stop and think about, we are talking about eternity becoming finite. A God that inhabits everywhere to habit one place. A, a God who is spirit becoming flesh. In fact, the Muslim people still mock us for this belief. It does not make sense. In fact, I think it's amazing because the Muslim says God can't become man. Well, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. But it is a mystery. I don't, I think as, you know, as the shepherds have come, they've worshipped him. They're noising abroad about the angels that they've seen. Maybe she wondered about her own angelic visit. Maybe she questioned herself. But now these these shepherds have come and they've talked about their angelic visit and, and she has all of these question marks in her mind. How is it God is flesh? How is he he's my son? How, how is it that, how, how are we going to do all, uh, how, how did this all work? How did this happen? And do you know what? Mary gives us a great example of what to do when we have questions. She pondered them. She meditated on them. She thought on them. And you know, there's a lot of questions that we have in the Christian faith that we don't have answers to. You know, it's hard to, it's almost impossible to explain the Trinity. In fact, I would say it just is impossible. It is a mystery of the faith. And any attempt to explain the Trinity always, almost always, leads us into heresy. Every single attempt, any kind of illustration that you can think of, will fall short. It's a mystery we cannot explain. It's one that, we, that, that, that I understand why people trip up over it. Because it's too big of a mystery. Now, some of us here... We understand it's God, three in one, and, and, and that's, you're, you're happy enough with that. But there's some of us who like to know things. We like to, we like to have everything figured out. And there's those of us that God has given us the gift of asking questions and curiosity and liking to have things torn apart, at least if not physically, but at least in our mind so that we can put it back together. I think Mary was that kind of person. She's got a lot of questions. She ponders them. Why do good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? We've tried to answer that in previous sermons, but I don't know that, that we ever do a good job of explaining it. Over and over, we are going to be faced with questions in our walk with God that we're not going to be able to have answers to. We're going to face trials that we're going to say, why did this have to happen? And sometimes God's just silent. He doesn't tell us why. I don't think Mary ever got the answers in this life to the questions she pondered. But she didn't let it shipwreck her faith. I always tell young people, I invite their questions, and I'll do my best to answer them. 
I'm not afraid of questions. But we have to understand that there's going to be times that there won't be answers to the questions. If we had all the answers to all our questions, I think there would be something that would dissatisfy the question askers. We don't want a God that we can comprehend. He becomes too small. And though we strive for questions and we ponder them, those of great faith, those that, that have pondered these questions for a long time, the great saints of the church, you know what I have found? As I've talked with them about the great mysteries of the faith, when I ask them for answers, their answers are almost always, I don't know, but I'm content not to know. Mary didn't know. She didn't know what was going to face that she would face in her life. Simeon would say that a sword would pierce her. I don't think a mother wants to hear that with a weak old child. Three days, three days old. She's going to face some sorrows. She's going to face some difficulties. And yet, Gabriel said she was favored by the Most High. Favored above all women. And I would just say this, this morning to you that have questions, and there are things that God has allowed in your life that you don't understand and you wish that were different. In the midst of it all, don't allow the enemy to convince you that you're not favored because God has allowed these things in your life. Mary was favored above all women. She was chosen to be the mother of the Messiah, and yet God allowed a sword to pierce her heart. And she would have sad days, difficult, difficult days. And there would be much that she wouldn't understand, but in the midst of it all, she held true to her faith. As we think about Christmas and we get into the season, as we look at Jesus through Mary's eyes, he's a king to worship. He was one who became vulnerable so that he could identify with our vulnerabilities. And he's a mystery that we still don't fully understand, but we hold on to our faith in spite of it all. As we think about Christmas, I hope our focus stays not on ourselves and not on all the activity, but our focus will be as Mary's was, on the one that she held close to her heart and the one that holds us close to his heart. Let's stand together. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for this time of year that we reflect on your good gift. I think about on that day when they said there was no room for Jesus, and yet you tell us there's room for us at the cross. 
thankful, Lord, that you've made room for us in your big family and that we can be accepted. And in this time of Christmas, will you give us fresh eyes to see and behold our Savior afresh and new. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You are dismissed.